This is Hannah Nordby, the Adams County Agriculture and Natural Resources County Extension Agent, and you're listening to Agriculture Applied, Innovate, Relate, Create with NDSU Extension. Today, NDSU Ag and Natural Resource Extension Agent Kurt Freilich and the state's climatologist and NDSU Assistant Professor of Climatology Adnan Akuz will be joining me to discuss the North Dakota Drought Monitor. How is the Drought Monitor created? What factors are considered? And how exactly does extension tie into the whole scheme of things? Grab a cup of joe and settle in to ponder innovative ideas and reflect on generational changes when it comes to your operation. You're not gonna wanna miss out. Okay, everyone, we're, I'm sitting here with Kurt and Adnan. Right, Adnan, that's how I pronounce your name? Adnan, you, Adnan. you did it perfect, yep. Okay, we're talking about the U.S. Drought Monitor. Kurt, can you explain to listeners what the Drought Monitor is? Well, Hannah, the Drought Monitor is a, it, it, a program which generates through various uh, information sources uh, such as you and myself uh, we we send this information up to our other individual uh, Mr. Adnan Akuz that is on this with us today some information for to him uh, and he sends it on off and they develop a map basically what the drop monitor is is it's a map and it based off of some precipitation some uh, some departures from normal and where we're sitting at. And, and it's just, it's a tool that we can use to, to help manage our crops, help manage our ag production that, uh, that we can look at and how has things changed. It's also a great history thing because we can go back and look uh, you know, a month or two back or even a year back and how the environment, how, how the weather has changed, especially from a moisture standpoint. So it's really a tool that we can use in our management scheme, another uh, tool in the toolbox that from an ag producer standpoint that we can use. So I, I think that would probably, it's a general, a very general uh, explanation of what the drought monitor is and that's how I use it from, from an extension agent. So maybe uh, Mr. Adnan Akuz is going to tell us a little bit more about some other things on it. So back to you, Hannah. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a good starting spot and we'll dive in a little bit deeper with some follow-up questions. But before we do that, Adnan, can you explain the history behind the drought monitor, when it was first established, why it came to be? Um, sure. Uh, the, the history goes way back, actually, um, to dust bowls. Uh, everybody remembers dust bowl as a dry period. And in fact, I am holding uh, the graphic in my hand uh, for North Dakota the, during the dust bowl, uh, along with the, any other states in the, uh, in the Midwest. It was devastating. Uh, it is exactly the, the, the dryness started in 1930. 1940, the dryest, dryness uh, still continued. Um, and that was devastating for uh, the farmers, especially uh, whose economy relies on uh, the farming, uh, just like North Dakota. Uh, 1941, uh, we had one 
uh, the wet season uh, that ended 1930s dust bowl. And in fact, 1941 was the wettest growing season on record for North Dakota at that time. It still is. So um, we, we have uh, some of these uh, long dry periods we call a dry uh, season. Uh, another one started in 1950s, we call it drought of the 1950s, started in 1958 and lasted about four years. In 1961, it ended. Um, and then 1980s put the period on people's mind that they thought that they need to do something about this. It keeps costing um, a lot of um, uh, dollars and uh, productivity, uh, Western Governors Association picked up uh, the leadership to start um, putting together a form for the Senate uh, to secure some funding to establish National Drought Mitigation Center uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, they started putting out the National Drought uh, Map, uh, we call it uh, Drought Monitor Map. Um, every week, um, and they took turn between the uh, NOAA, the uh, Department of Agriculture and National Drought Mitigation Center to create these maps. And they, they designated uh, experts in each state, um, and usually these are the state climatologists in each state, to organize and, um, and send recommendation uh, to the drought monitor author and you can imagine that one person doing this weekly uh, for the entire country is uh, pretty difficult, uh, the task, and, and they needed some help. And state climatologists came uh, to rescue. And, and of course, the state climatologist couldn't do this by himself for the entire state. That's a big state. And I need to know what's going on in each county uh, so that uh, the entire state doesn't go into D0 or D1 or a special uh, the categories, but uh, we need to be able to separate Divide County from uh, Richland County, for example. Conditions are obviously different. Um, and that's where the county agents come into the picture to become an expert into their counties. And they probably have their own system to look around and call uh, different uh, farmers to see what they are seeing in their field. So this is, this is how it's seeded. Uh, first, it started in 1999. But the first complete year was 2000. And since 2000, we have a complete record of um, drought monitor map, which is used by legislators to uh, put out certain fundings for the other uh, states, uh, certain counties and certain farmers. Um, it's all indexed to uh, drought monitor. So it is that important. Now, some of the terms in the lingo that you just used include D1, D2, D3. Can you describe to listeners what those categories mean? Uh, those are all subjective uh, the categories. Uh, even though the D1, D2, D3, and D4 uh, correspond to uh, precipitation, for example, being 20% uh, uh, of normal, 40% of normal, 50% of normal, and then the soil moisture needs to be uh, so much deficit, and then you would go into uh, vegetation index, needs to be uh, uh, so low, and then you would go back to different indices such as uh, Palmer drought indices need to be negative two, negative three, negative four, 
Um, and you can implement these uh, subjective indices, but really uh, it all boils down to what you see in the field, uh, impact, uh, certain impacts, and it could be um, as, as um, easy as um, the grasses are brown, uh, and, and then um, the leaves are curling, uh, or, or the, uh, the crops are looking terrible, and we are not getting any germination. And now then you can go to dams are getting dry. Um, and, and then the, the, the waters do not exist, and the farmers are hauling water from one place and to another. So uh, drought monitor author um, examines all these converging evidences to come up with um, a D category. So there is not really an easy answer to that, but uh, it all boils down to what impacts the job makes. Uh, it is the most important. I don't hear. I got it. <laughs> it sounds like there's a lot of different factors and considerations that go into putting together a drought monitor. And you mentioned how you have partnerships with the local extension agents to gather that information. Kurt, when you're going about submitting your weekly report, I think Adnan touched on this a little bit, but from the county agent's perspective, how do you gather that information and what specifically are you looking for? Well, Hannah, when I, when I look at and fill out the drought report that I submit uh, uh, weekly to uh, Adnan, you know, we're using different uh, tools, uh, one being our own eyes, because we're out and about, uh, uh, like myself, I live out in the rural uh, countryside of Stark County, so I drive, I get to see nine miles every day, um, one way, uh, and then going home and seeing how things change. But I also have some other alternative routes to go from home to the office. So I, I take those routes quite often so that I can just see because uh, we all know that rain can change drastically within even a half a mile. Uh, one neighbor can say they got uh, extra amount of rain and the next neighbor half mile away said well I didn't get anything you know it's just uh, for whatever reason that's how things do happen the other thing too is uh, I use my eyes but I also use my ears I just listen to people listen to the producers talk uh, get them talking about ask them some questions and and uh, just listen to them and so I try to take that information and summarize it and put it in and then, uh, but most importantly, I, I really study uh, the landscape as I am out and about to see where things are at. Now, uh, we're a big county up here, uh, actually with two counties, Stark and Billings County. We're uh, potentially 90 miles from one end to the other end. So it's a, you're not going to get there on a, on a daily basis, uh, sometimes not even on a weekly basis. So that's where you really got... I really <clears throat> take into consideration what uh, those folks are saying out there. Um, and over the years, you know, I've seen this thing. Uh, I, I go way back to 1988 before the drought monitor come out. That was one of the first droughts that as an extension agent that I got to experience. And I happened to be in Slope County at that point in time. And that was uh, 
that was a, a very, very challenging year from a, from a drought situation. And, and I, I worked with the local fire department and every time a cloud come up, uh, most of the fire department members were a little bit on edge because we were afraid and, and lightning started a lot of fires back in those days for us uh, that we were out battling and you get out in those badlands and it can be a challenge. And then most recently, Hannah, the, the year that comes out to my mind was 2017, just three years ago. That was, I'm not sure which one would be worse, the 1988 or the 2017 drought. But 17 was, was an extremely dry year. There was just nothing out there. Uh, um, and, and this drought monitor really played a role in that 2017 when it came along and we were able to submit information. And sometimes uh, I can remember visiting uh, electronically, either through an email or even a phone call with Dr. with Adnan about where are those lines at? Hey, I think you need to move this stuff because it's, um, it's, it's more severe than what it actually is showing. So uh, those are the ways that I can use this stuff. And that's why for listeners out there that if they are looking at the drought monitor and they say, well, we're only in a, it's normal, the drought monitor might say normal and they disagree with it, they need to let us know. So that, and then why do you disagree with it? So that we can then uh, submit that information even, even further on. So it's, it's, it's a good tool, it's a very good tool. Um, and I think as an extension agent, we play a huge role in helping develop that thing if we monitor it closely. Yeah, I think it's a great example of why having a local, a county-based extension program is really beneficial for the producers in North Dakota. And that's not always the case. Adnan, in other states where their extension service isn't county-based, how do they collect this information? Um, uh, I, I can tell uh, by uh, listening to the chatter uh, between the other uh, the states. Um, I, I am a member of the, uh, the drought monitor uh, distribution list, and um, I receive about 100 emails uh, that are coming from across the, uh, the country. Uh, which uh, you might think it is annoying, but it is, it is important reading these messages to see what impacts constitute what kind of the designation. Uh, so when we live in a, in a little community, we think, uh, oh my gosh, this is D4. Uh, we, 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 we start isolating ourselves from the, the standardization of the other uh, impacts uh, that deserve certain D categories. Um, and I know for a fact that South Dakota, for example, we have a, a special distribution list among the, uh, the neighboring states, South Dakota, Minnesota, and um, Montana, and uh, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba. Um, and anytime the county agent sends their reports and, and I compile them, uh, we start negotiate what I call negotiation process. Um, and as you know, the North Dakota, South Dakota border does not constitute the D-NOT should stop there. We, we need a nice continuing um, uh, flow of the, uh, the drought condition extending from, for example, uh, to uh, Adams County, to the county, to the, uh, 
the south of that in, in South Dakota, and we want to make sure that they blend together. So uh, South Dakota does similar. Uh, for example, my counterparts uh, in South Dakota, uh, Laura Edwards, uh, state climatologist, um, is an extension uh, person, and um, she has a strong relationship with the extension county agents, and, and she does a similar um, process, but they don't do what we do with the, uh, the Google, uh, the form. It is not, it is not f as formal as North Dakota. And, and by the way, North Dakota's process is so famous that every state uh, shows North Dakota as an example. Every time I attend a meeting uh, that is organized by National Drought Mitigation Center or NIDAS or other drought group, they show North Dakota as, a, as an example. Because uh, we put this pretty good, actually, and every county agents uh, put their reports by uh, the Monday, 12 p.m., and then from there, the other states uh, try to uh, flow their maps in Montana. My counterpart from there, for example, uh, Michael Downey, and uh, talks to his county agents uh, to come up with their map, and we make sure that the, our borders match. And I do the same thing for the Canadian, uh, the neighbors. Unfortunately, they don't do it by weekly. They, they do this uh, maps uh, uh, once a month. And sometimes we do an odd uh, shape. For example, what we have this week, we have a D1 situations going up to uh, uh, the Burke County and Renville County, but it stops at the Canadian border. They have a D naught. It's not flowing there, but it's going to change uh, once they start updating their maps. Uh, it is going to change. And, and moving to the east, Montana, Montana has the same process. Uh, they email me, they email their neighbors, and they say, hey, this is what we are thinking. What are you thinking? And, and if I haven't heard from the counties, for example, from Pembina, Walsh County, and Grand Forks, I, I pick up the telephone and make sure I talk to the county agents in that or I look for uh, their reports. And, and sometimes I would go back and say, uh, can you send me some pictures so we can defend what you're asking for? Um, uh, by Wednesday, we finalized the map. And as you know, by Thursday, 8 a.m., the, the map uh, publishes. Um, so th this is the process every state's uh, bordering North Dakota Everyone is working in a similar fashion, but uh, we, North, as a North Dakotans, we formalize that pretty good and involving the county agents and the extension service with the help of Miranda, uh, this, this is really, this is really great uh, process. Well, I'm gonna throw a kind of a, a random question here, or not so random. We talked about it a little bit before we started diving into these questions, but, we were discussing how 2020 is very different from previous years as we are looking at submitting information and the different challenges that we're facing. I guess, uh, Kurt, could you start off from the county agent's perspective, what you're seeing and why that's different? And then Adnan, you can maybe follow up a little bit. Unmute yourself, Kurt. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> Hannah. Hannah, the the 2020 year is is really, in in my opinion, I've never gone through anything like this yet in my career, and and uh, I've been 
uh, working as a county extension agent in North Dakota for 35 years. Um, you know, we, we come into 2020, uh, the fall of 2019, we had so much rain, so much water. Um, we left a lot of fields uh, and I could pretty much draw a line south of I-94 um, and then head down uh, towards your country, Hannah, where it was, uh, there was a lot of fields that did not get harvested, uh, because crops that got abandoned, things were just so wet. So we go through the winter of uh, 2019 and coming into 2020, we didn't have a lot, a lot of snow cover. We had a fairly mild winter, really. Um, we didn't have uh, <clears throat> um, some extremes in cold temperatures. Yeah, there was some cold days in there, but we didn't have two weeks of minus 10 below zero with uh, unbearable wind chills all the time. Uh, and so now we, we get fast forward into 2020 where we're at in the spring planting season, start basically April 1, and no rain, no rain. Nothing's dropping and it's, uh, it's periodic, you know, rainfall. Uh, guys, guys, we had a cooler temperatures, so we had to start. We probably could have started earlier than we what we did, but because we were just cool, we weren't cold, but just cool, we weren't getting some of these soils to dry out to where we could start to uh, get some equipment across them. The grasses in our pastures, our hay, our alfalfa grass, hay fields, the grasses were because of the cooler temperatures, basically lack of heat degree day units, weren't able to really get going. So we dried our top out. We dried our top two, three, four inches out and uh, guys were planting and some guys had complained earlier on about uneven crop emergence. Well, they got a little shower on it and all of a sudden everything looked really good. Um, and as we are speaking here today, um, uh, the rain showers that came through this past weekend and some of the storms um, are, are quite sporadic, quite variable uh, from location to location. Things look nice. Things look, uh, it's lush green out there. But when you really delve into it, especially, especially our hay crop, um, there's, there's producers today that are starting to get concerned about what kind of hay that they're actually going to put up. It's not going to be, uh, we're not going to have a bumper hay crop. A, a, a straight alfalfa field today looks really nice. It does look really nice, but if we don't have many straight alfalfa fields. Most of our, what we call hay ground, has got alfalfa grass mixture in it. And, uh, so we're, we are concerned about that. And you talk to one producer and he says, God, my stuff looks pretty good. And then the next two producers say, oh, things are going to be, it's going to be touch and go. It's not, it doesn't look so good out there. So this thing is, uh, 2020 is a really unique year. And I think we talked just briefly before we, we officially started. Um, Southwest North Dakota has always been known, always been known. We are only two weeks away from a drought. Some people might even say we're only one week away from a drought out here, just the way our, our climate is. So it's a unique year um, and it's gonna get more unique as this year progresses.
Okay, so I think Kurt just did a great job explaining what a lot of producers and county extension agents are seeing, especially on the western side of the state. So then Adnan, how is this going to affect the drought monitor going forward? What kind of challenges does this present to you? Um, fortunately, drought monitor realizes these kind of issues and they would like to hear it. And, and we are good about uh, being heard. Uh, we have a good system of getting the information from local experts and, uh, and conveying that information with the added um, uh, expertise to be able to uh, request what we need. And, and so far, uh, because of the reputation of the state and how we operate, um, our requests have never been rejected. And sometimes uh, it is refined. Uh, but uh, I wanted to echo with what Kurt said about 2020 goes all the way back to 2017. Really, uh, we have been so much in um, instability since the drought of 2017 that is leaked into 2018. And even 2019 was, I would say, as weird as 2022. We, we started out as, as dry and then we started getting some rain. We got into September, became the, the wettest September on record so much that it, it beat the previous record. This is statewide, uh, previous record by a couple inches. So it was even, it made the entire fall to be the wettest fall on record. Uh, and it wasn't only North Dakota, but our, uh, the neighbors, uh, South Dakota, Minnesota, and us, ourselves, and made it uh, the wettest um, fall on record as a regional. Uh, perspective um, and and then the the snow started early in October uh, the frost and it locked all that moisture underneath the soil like a savings account sitting there to be tapped in when you need it and and usually that would be great if the the spring turns out to be dry so the uh, the plants can utilize that moisture the next spring and and unfortunately when the next spring becomes especially in the eastern North Dakota, one of the wettest spring on record. That means it's a bad news uh, for uh, the farmers, farm locations along the Red River that flows to the north. And as you know, uh, 2020, uh, it became a, 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 the flood, a major flood season for uh, most locations to the north of Grand Forks. To the south, it was still flood season, but we didn't have as much flood as it was expected because it got dry. But still, the farmers couldn't get into their fields. Um, what, what looks from distance wasn't really the, uh, the case. And it looks like it's the top layer is dry when the, uh, the people got into the machineries with the field and they got stuck. Uh, it is apparent that the, uh, the soil underneath it is wet. But the problem is you can't really get into the fields. And, and here in Fargo, the, the little way that I go around and look, look at the, the fields, I still see cornfields unharvested from last season. Um, we have a very short season last season, and, and we, have a, we are going to have a very short season because people couldn't get into the field this growing season too. Uh, by uh, mid-May, uh, we, we have a, a devastating uh, frost, and temperature went down below to 28, which is the, uh, considered to be a hard freeze, and that is capable of killing um plantations and um 
we know that we couldn't get into the field and this is for the eastern North Dakota and western North Dakota is suffering from the dryness, uh, drought and eastern North Dakota is uh, suffering from wetness. I wish we could find a way to distribute the water from east to west and south to north and, and all these problems would be solved but uh, until then, um, you know what, the farmers are gonna suffer that and, and the governor realizes that and, and because of that he, um, put together a form, uh, a report to uh, request federal disaster aid uh, from the, the, uh, the federal, uh, the government, and, and I hope that it is going to be uh, accepted so that uh, some kind of relief can be uh, the passed back to the, uh, uh, the real people who are suffering this. Uh, yes, 2020 uh, started as um, really tough for the farmers in the east and the, uh, the western North Dakota and North Dakota overall for different reasons. But um, the, I am looking at the forecast. Uh, it is really looking great. Uh, it looks like we are going to develop 50 additional growing degree days for um, crops uh, by the end of the season. And I just made a comparison if, if a, a location near Cass County had put 90 day corn into the field on May 15. And you can do this too. There's a tool that the farmers can play around. And by the end of the season, the, this corn would reach maturity. Um, and that would be right before the first day of killing frost, which is exactly what we needed. From there, we need a dry fall uh, so that the uh, mature crop can dry down uh, for them to be able to combine so uh, if if people are looking for consolation and i think the warmer than normal growing season coming upcoming season i think that's a great news right looking trying to find the silver lining in things and as you just said north dakota is really experiencing one extreme to the next as you travel from the west side to the east side i think in your conversation or talking points just now, you really just touched on a lot of the different weather pattern changes that we've observed, especially in the past couple of years. Again, it's been a lot of extremes. And I know I've heard that there's really no such thing as averages in North Dakota. It's more like we just go from one extreme to the next and um, you can usually kind of throw out those averages out the window, it seems like. But and I think that's something that producers would be a really big challenge that they're that we face every year, right? Um, are there anything in particular that can, producers can do to address those weather concerns or um, combat those the swinging pendulum from one extreme to the next? Um, either of you, I guess, can jump in, or if you both have something. Well, Adnan, I'll take a stab at that first and then let you follow up with that kind of a question. What can producers do um, with this pendulum when it swings? Basically, we have the, the tools are out there and it's just a toolbox from a management standpoint. Um, we can take a look at these uh, the, the tool of the drought monitor, where we're sitting at, um, uh, the weather forecasts, uh, what are what are the our 
climatologists, what are people forecasting uh, short term, long term, we can look at use that to help us maybe make some management decisions. And then plus, we also have uh, the North Dakota Ag Weather Network system, which uh, Adnan uh, briefly addressed in there with the, some of the models that we can, a person can play around with to, uh, to make some decisions, you know, not only for corn growing degree days, but if we're concerned about, let's say, fusarium head blight in, in wheat, otherwise known as scab, uh, people can kind of take a look at, uh, there's a, a, a system in the end on what, a program where they can look at it and am I at risk? Is my wheat at risk? Should I be making some kind of a management decision there? So uh, there's a lot of tools in this toolbox that if producers want to use them and because of our technology today um, where uh, we're sitting in our tractor and uh, maybe the auto steer is on, we can be using our iPads or our phones or whatever technology we have to, to kind of look at some stuff and to try, to try to predict the next week, next two weeks out, what might be coming up or even more concerned if, uh, if fusarium head blight, it shows up that, hey, we are at risk. We probably should be making some decisions real quickly and, uh, and contacting the people, uh, the resources to get it put into place. So that would be my stab at that. Uh, Adnan, you can fill in the blanks behind me there. Yeah, Kurt, uh, you're, you're exactly right. Uh, we are very lucky that the, uh, we live in a state that supports such um, state-of-the-art networks, such as a North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network. Um, providing uh, assistance to the farmers every day. Uh, uh, the farmers are not today uh, just spreading uh, fertilizer or uh, insecticizers um, by guess. They are, they, are, they are looking at the uh, optimum conditions to be able to apply these applications. And sometimes they can just skip these applications because the conditions do not uh, constitute uh, not to mention that the, uh, the savings in the money, but the, the natural resources, the, uh, the nature uh, benefits from that. Uh, the other resources uh, beyond uh, North Dakota Agricultural Weather Network, the first thing that comes to my mind is the U2U, uh, the website that uh, the farmers can go in. And, um, and Hannah, I can share this website with you. Maybe you can just link it when you're making it available. Uh, the farmers can choose the type of uh, the corn hybrid, for example, uh, they are planning on putting for the next growing season. Um, for example, uh, let's start out with the 85-day corn, um, and and then and then uh, hit submit for the uh, the location that they are in. They can zoom into the uh, the farm level with these map, and you can create an accumulated growing degree days. Uh, what you're looking for that accumulated growing degree days, uh, the, the system takes into account forecast. It is not the average um, growing degree days, but it takes into account the forecast to give you an estimated black layer. And if you think that, well, um, it sounds like I can, 
uh, take little more risk and put 90-day corn instead uh, by looking at when it is going to reach maturity. And you want to make sure that it is going to be before the first occurrence of the hard freeze. So this way, uh, you, can, you can select your optimal, uh, the hybrids. The trick is if you select too cool, you're not going to get as much efficiency by the end of the growing season. But if you select too warm and it happens to be a cool season, then you're going to have to face uh, your, 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 uh, the crop is not going to reach maturity, just like what happened last season. So the forecast is really uh, the great uh, the way to know what is going to happen for you to make an informed decision. Uh, and the farmers do come to these meetings sometimes, and if they are not familiar with tools uh, for them to dive into and then try, and, and you can select one of the um, scientists in these meetings. And, and I am invited to many meetings during the winter time where I am face-to-face -face with the farmers and the other uh, commodities and the, uh, the business owners uh, to listen what the upcoming season is going to bring uh, so they can make a more informed decision. So what farmers can do, the best thing they can do is uh, attend these meetings that was organized by the county agents and the seed farms and the other, other places. Um, the other thing that I may suggest is uh, seek out your uh, county agent, and they, they have the, uh, the tools, they have the knowledge, and if they, they cannot answer, they know how to get contact with the, the person who can do the best um, advice for them. So the farming is not really guesswork anymore. It is scientific with the science we can improve farming, we can improve profitability, and we can reduce the risk. Yes, and I would say Extension is a great resource and a very vast network, and which is really awesome to, as a county extension agent to have that backing to know, well, if I don't know this area, there's someone that I can reach out to and they're more than happy to help me out. But now as we start moving towards wrapping this episode up my final question for both of you is why are you involved in the agriculture sector if you just want to share a little bit with listeners about your why I you, Kurt mentioned he's been working for extension for 35 years and Adnan I guess I don't know um, how long you've been working in this area but I imagine you both probably have a pretty good reason why you're so passionate about what you do. Kurt, you want to start? Sure, sure I can start to answer that one. Why? So why am I involved in agriculture? Well I grew up on a farm and ranch, uh, Hannah, and I guess it just goes back to the old saying you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And this is one way uh, our operation was not at the time that I, I would love to have been there, but it was not going to support another family. So I, I got involved in extension and have, have lo loved it. I've lived it uh, my whole career. Um, it's one way of uh, wanting to help people. Um, improve their lives, uh, help people uh, stay in production agriculture. So it's, it's, a, it's a great uh, program for me anyway. Um, I just enjoy 
helping people learn and helping people solve problems. Um, uh, well, as far as I am concerned, um, well, well, Kurt, uh, it is obvious why you are uh, in, in, involved with agriculture, um, because you live in this uh, state and it is impossible to find somebody or maybe difficult to find somebody in North Dakota who's not involved in agriculture. Um, as a person such as myself, uh, being born in another country, I, I was born in Turkey. Um, uh, my family wasn't farmer, um, uh, and then came to the United States in 85, uh, started going to a master's and PhD degree in the University of Missouri, Columbia, which is another agriculturally uh, the famous uh, the college. And then 1998, I became the state climatologist in Missouri uh, for eight years. And uh, just like you, I was helping farmers, uh, forming and providing feedback for the drought monitor. So I, I uh, gradually uh, moved myself into agricultural community there. And then, and then when I moved into North Dakota in 2007, uh, that's, that's been about uh, 13 years I lived in here. I, I was more in uh, blended with the, the farmers with the uh, winter time. I have a lot of meetings uh, with the farmers. Uh, I have a lot of farmer friends. Uh, they ask questions and, and uh, it became a part of my job. Uh, in a sense, really, everybody is involved in agriculture. Uh, even they don't know that, even if you're a banker and providing probably a financial aid to farmer. Uh, so your success depends on their success. Um, as a person who uh, is in a education, uh, I always give examples from farming in my classroom uh, because people can relate to it. All my students, uh, I would say about 90% of the population, either they are farmers or their families are farmers. So they can relate to these agricultural uh, examples. Uh, well, North Dakota is a, is a state whose economy depends on uh, farming and agriculture. So my job, uh, the income that I made uh, depends on the success of the farmers. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here. So that's why I'm in agriculture. You know, Hannah, I would echo what Adnan just said. Every one of us, is involved in agriculture in some form or fashion. Um, and, and most of us do need some food to survive. And so I believe every human person in, in, on this great planet is involved in agriculture because uh, uh, they, they are eating and it has to come from someplace. And, and that's probably the challenge that we as the agriculturists, we haven't probably told our story well enough and to where their food, to our consumers of where their food is coming from and how it's produced and why we do the things that we do to get it from a raw commodity to that, uh, to the, to their table and so where they can consume it. So it's a great, great industry. And maybe I can add one more thing that uh, maybe that's a personal, as it being an educators and, and maybe that's why I feel myself aligned with the farming is the, uh, I think the educators and the farmers are the least appreciated uh, group um, in, in the world. Um, even though we are feeding and we are educating, uh, we still are the least money-making um, uh, 
commodity in, in the world. We should be making the most money rather than uh, some other uh, that are not directly related to people who are feeding. Uh, but unfortunately, it is not. So I think you both touched on some really great points. And I think we're extremely lucky here in North Dakota to have you both a part of our extension team. And producers should know that they've got some pretty awesome people looking out for them and trying to provide education as well as making sure that they're getting the support that they need. Um, I guess on the behalf of those producers, I would like to say thank you. <laughs> and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. I know I learned a lot in the last uh, you know, 30, 45 minutes and everything like that. And yeah, so thank you guys. And uh, that's a wrap, I guess. <laughs> Thank you, Anna. Thank you, Kurt. It was great uh, talking to you. Yeah, now I got to go fill out my report. And I got to try to somehow figure out how to put it in words, how things are um, one week away. Yep. <laughs> Make sure you put your report in. You have, uh, you have about one hour. <laughs> well, I got two hours when I look at my clock. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll get her done. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. If you found yourself tapping along to our theme music, those rights go out to Chuck Suki. He sure can write a catchy tune. Thursdays are launch days for new episodes. Topics to come include how producers can capitalize on resources such as a local Endon station. Final thanks to Nolan Dix over on the mix board. Hair and makeup by Country Style. Coffee provided by George's and the Owl sure to keep you wide-eyed from sunup to sundown and of course to you the listener for your continued support agriculture applied can be heard wherever podcasts can be found if you're having trouble or have any sort of question give me a call at 701-567-2735 until next time take care Thank you.